from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our New Testament reading comes from Philippians 4, 2 through 7, 15 through 20. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to page 187 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I pray, I just want to uh, just take a moment and thank our scholar in residence, Dr. Chris Holmes, uh, for curating just a wonderfully engaging series on friendship. If you were here the second week of the sermon, which was the second Sunday of October, I confess that I had never preached on the theme of friendship. I hadn't really considered it from a theological perspective, and Chris invited us in curating this content, uh, both in the sermon series and with the classes and formation opportunities we had to really consider friendship from a theological perspective. Uh, he's a treasure on our team, and I'm so grateful that he invited us in uh, to this work. Uh, with that, let us go to God in prayer. Lord, break open your word afresh to us so that we'd be changed, we'd be different people than those who came into this sacred space or those who join remotely, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been engaging this content, and if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, you've heard some about the philosopher Aristotle and his three forms or three categories of friendship. When I preached in that second week, I said that uh, any sort of thoughtful or academic approach to the sociology or the psychology of friendship runs through Aristotle. And I think uh, sort of remembering some of what he wrote about, what he talked about, uh, will help us in this final week, sort of as a refresher, as we tee up uh, today's theme, which is the theme of friends in ministry. Friends in ministry. 
So as many of you know, Aristotle argued that there are three forms of friendship or three categories. So the first category of friendship is a friendship that's built on utility. I'm friends with you because you do something for me. I'm friends with you because you bring me something I want or something I desire. My friendship with you is purely based on what you provide. The second form of friendship, Aristotle said, was a friendship that's rooted in enjoyment or in pleasure, happiness. Uh, this is a friendship where uh, the two parties come together and they uh, share a hobby or they share an interest or they share uh, experiences that they like to create, whether it's playing bridge or, or going fishing or, or watching their kids play sports uh, together. These friendships, there's a mutuality of enjoyment. There's a, a mutuality of happiness that one garners or or takes from this particular friendship. Now, Aristotle was quick uh, to point out that these first two forms of friendship are absolutely rooted in the questions of self-interest. These are very self-centered forms of friendship. Is this friendship useful to me? What will this friendship bring me? And does this friendship make me happy? Does it bring a certain level of joy or enjoyment or pleasure in my life? And Aristotle is quick to say that these two forms of friendship, while meaningful, and while many of us have these types of friendships, they're meaningful. He says they're also short-lived. He says they're flimsy. They're, they're a bit thin. Because once the utility and once the enjoyment ends, the friendship typically ends. When there's no more usefulness, that person is no longer useful. The friendship's no longer useful. And so it can be discarded when... You're not enjoying the friendship or the things that you used to do together that brought you happiness or satisfaction. You move away from it. And Aristotle was quick to point out that these friendships are not built to last. He does introduce a third form of friendship, a deeper form, a more, uh, a stronger form, a less flimsy form. And he says the motivation behind the third form of friendship, friendship rather, is virtue, is virtue. It's where you are friends with somebody else because of who they are because of their character, because they're good, because they're noble, because they're honorable, because they are righteous, they're moral, they're humble. I'm friends with them because of who they are. I'm not friends with them because what they bring to my life. I'm not friends with them because I enjoy things with them. I'm friends with them because they're good. And I'm compelled by that goodness. And Lord willing, it's reciprocal. They're compelled by the goodness in me. And those friends, Aristotle says, last a lifetime. They last a lifetime. Over this morning, I'd like uh, to suggest that a fourth category of friendship is possible. And I know it's bold of me to add to Aristotle's categories, but I'm going to do it this morning. I think there's a fourth form of friendship that actually flows quite naturally from his third form. The first and second forms are self-interest based on utility and pleasure. The third form is based on virtue that is shared in the relationship between the two. And I think the fourth form of friendship recognizes that the virtue that is shared within that third form is not meant to stay there. In other words, there's a fourth form of friendship where goodness moves from that friendship out into the world where goodness blesses other people and blesses God's good world. To put it in theological terms, these are friendships that are built on collaboration and mutuality that seek to receive 
and proclaim and participate in the good that God is doing in the world. It's not just about the good that is happening in the relationship, but it's the good that God is doing in the world. Now, I didn't wake up and say, you know, I'm going to add to Aristotle's categories and introduce something brand new. This actually has a root in what uh, I've recently discovered in some of Paul's writing, not just in the text that Megan read for us this morning, but also in other writings, and I'm going to get to those as well. I think this fourth form of friendship is actually something that Paul conceives of as he thinks about the growth of the gospel and he thinks about his own friends who are supporting him in this work. Uh, in addition to that, I think what Paul lays out is a pretty solid definition of what Christian friendship is at the heart. That at the core of Christian friendship, I think we find something similar to what I'm describing as this fourth form. That Christian friendship at its core is rooted in a relationship of virtue and goodness that takes that goodness, bears witness to that goodness to other people and into the life of the world. And so we come to Paul's uh, fourth chapter, to his letter, in his letter rather, to the church in Philippi. This congregation, this church in Philippi, is pastored by a woman named Lydia. And we are introduced to two more women right at the outset of this section, Iodia and Syntyche. Now in verse two of the fourth chapter, Paul urges that these women should have the same mind in the Lord or of the Lord, that they should be of the same mind, that they should be united. Now I wanna say something about historic interpretation of this particular text. Uh, over the course of 2000 plus years of Christian history, the relationship between these two women, I think, and many others agree, has been mischaracterized and has led to some sexist stereotypes uh, that would promote the stereotype that women are prone to quarreling, disagreement, and cattiness more than men. And most of that mischaracterization, of course, has been done by male preachers and male biblical interpreters. They bring their sexist assumptions to the text and they claim that these women must have had some disagreement. They must have been at odds. They were fighting as women are prone to do. And they're divided and they're apart. And here comes Paul to save the day. Be reconciled. Come together, have the same mind in the Lord. The problem with that interpretation is that it ignores a rhetorical tool that was common in the ancient world, a tool that was uh, accessible to Paul, a tool that I think he is using in this very line, where the author urges something on, not so that it begins, but so that it continues. Not so that it begins, but so that it continues. Our ninth grade son, Luke, just wrapped up his uh, cross-country season last week. Uh, and many of you who know our family know that any skill Luke and Johnny have has for running comes from their mother. Katie has actually been around competitive running for a long time. And when it comes to cross-country races, she is really good at scouting out the courses where the boys would run. And she would know where she would be at the right time for the race. Um, I would just stand with my coffee at the finish line. 
So she'd be at the starting line as the race would, would begin, right? And Luke, the gun would go off and Luke would be in the pack and they'd be running and she would be cheering Luke on. She would say, Luke, you've got this. You've got this. Keep it up. You've got this. Then when they passed, she would run to another spot on the course. And there she was as the pack would, would come. She would say, Luke, you've got this. You've got this. You've got this. Keep running. Keep running. Then she'd go to a third place. They'd come again, and she'd find Luke. Finally, she'd, she'd come about 200 meters away from the finish line, and as she would see Luke, she would not only say, Luke, you've got this, she would run alongside of him uh, where the spectators are, dodging other spectators as he crosses the finish line. Now, of course, and Luke's here with us this morning, so I want to be very clear about this, Luke is running hard the entire time. Right? He's giving it his best for the entire race. It's not as if Katie goes to this spot and sees that Luke's walking and says, Luke, let's go. You've got this. No, he's, he's running. He's doing the thing he's supposed to be doing. And Katie is encouraging him along the way. She cheers him on not to begin something, but to continue something. To continue something. And I hope this illustration clarifies what Paul is getting at in this line. He urges these women not to be reconciled because they are not already reconciled. Not to be reconciled because somehow they are, are divided, but because they already are a witness and a model of friendship. We, we have to reimagine it, maybe even from the sermons we've heard along the years, that these women, Paul's lifting them up, not as an example of what not to do, but as an example of what to do. That these women, in Paul's estimation, demonstrate what Christian friendship is all about. That they already have this mind. And he's saying, keep going. In fact, part of this text in the Greek uh, references running. That's why I use this illustration. Keep running, he's saying to them. Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. And what are, what are they doing? In their relationship, in that friendship... They are working for the gospel. These women should be celebrated and lifted up as ones who demonstrate what Christian friendship is all about because they are working for the gospel. Now, Paul uh, uses a word that we translate into English as co-worker, and in the Greek it means the same thing, to work with. But it must be said that when, when we think of co-worker, right, we think of people we work with, right, professionally, and sometimes we like our co-workers, and sometimes we don't, right? When Paul uses the word coworker here, he's not thinking about professional employment and people who work with him. He's thinking about his friends. He's thinking about his friendships. And he's thinking about those friendships in terms of their mutuality in serving the mission of God. So when you read coworker in the New Testament, when Paul's writing it, you should read friends. The friends that he's working with including these women, to bear witness to the gospel. Now, here's something very interesting, and I didn't really recognize this until I started preparing for today's sermon. Paul uses this word co-worker three times in Romans, three times in his correspondence with the church in Corinth, twice in Philippians, and once each in Colossians and Thessalonians. The frequency of the word should draw our antenna, and we should pay close attention because here's Paul writing across different contexts, using 
the same thread and the same theme to talk about as friendships. And it's applicable to every single context. We should pay attention. Each letter has its own context, has its own specific interest, has its own specific point. But here there's something that, that binds them all together. And it's the sense that Paul is part of a group of friends that's doing something that God is calling them to do. Namely, bearing witness to the good news of God in Jesus Christ. And I think it's here that Paul offers us this fourth category. I think it's Paul's idea. A friendship that's not built on utility, a friendship that's, that, that's not built on enjoyment, a friendship that's not even just built on the virtue and the goodness that we share in the relationship, but the ways in which God's goodness is making its way in the world and the way that friendship wants to be a part of it. The way that that friendship wants to bear witness to it and participate in what God is doing in and for the world. Here's what I mean. There's a man in our uh, congregation who's been given a terminal uh, diagnosis. I was actually in his home uh, just yesterday. Uh, with that news, his family, his extended family, encouraged him to move closer to them, which requires a move out of state. Now to leave his house of multiple decades, to leave his friends, uh, to leave his beloved church. When he talks about the church, he has tears in his eyes. All of that just adds to the complexity of the moment for him and the sadness and the grief he's experiencing. This man's been a, a part of a men's Bible study here, a men's group. And some of those men over the last several weeks have been visiting him in pairs, in pairs, two by two, coming together as friends to bear witness to the peace that surpasses all understanding peace that we long for in moments like this man is going through. They're there to pray with him and to visit with him. And they're even there packing up his house to help him with this move. They love him. And, and they're committed to bearing witness to God's grace in his life, even in this dark hour, even in this difficult time. That's a friendship that has found its fourth form. That's a friendship that is that is rooted in a mutual concern for the good of somebody else, not just for the good of the friendship, but for the good of somebody else. And in this case, it's their beloved and dear friend. Here's what I mean. There are students in our youth ministry who have periodically gotten together to make lunches after the 9:10 service for our friends and community ministries. We serve lunch, as many of you know now, Monday, through Thursday, and these students, along with many others, and some of you are included in this, have prepared these meals. So there could be a, some food as uh, there's hospitality and welcome and supportive services. I want to say something about our youth ministry. Our youth ministry is unique in that uh, we're definitely not a neighborhood church. We have dozens of schools represented in our youth ministry, which makes friendships kind of hard sometimes. And many of you know this to be true. But one of the things that our youth ministry does that I am so thankful for, besides the wonderful fellowship and the Bible studies and the worship and the great events they go on, our, our youth ministry curates opportunities for mission, for service projects. And I can tell you something happens in those moments that's different than, happen, than, than what happens in moments of fellowship. 
for when these students come together and they build friendships around the bond of loving their neighbor, something happens in their lives. There's a growth that happens. And, and I want to say, if you have kids that are youth group age or about to be youth group, this is an amazing community where kids can build friendships around the good news, not just for themselves, but for others, to bear witness to the gospel both here in Atlanta and abroad. Here's what I'm talking about. Recently, two of our church members who are actively engaged in street ministry, and I mean street ministry here in the city of Atlanta, especially working with those experiencing homelessness and those battling addiction. They came to me recently in the parking lot with an amazing story. These two friends befriended a man uh, and they, in that friendship, they, they learned of his deep desire to change his life. Uh, he had addiction issues and these issues were killing him in more ways than one. These two friends with his permission contacted his family and he's been estranged from his family for some time. And they talked to the, this family and shared that he was ready to make a change. He was ready to pivot. He was ready for transformation. And the family, by God's grace, said, yes, we'll take him in. So they were making preparations for all this to happen. It was a week away or so. And um, unfortunately, the two friends who are from the congregation who do this ministry together uh, heard that this man went on a bender and he was staying and had stayed for about three days in a crack house here in Atlanta. So these two friends prayed, they talked to each other and they felt that God was calling them to go to that house and to let him know that they love him and they want to support him and they want the change that he so longs for in his life and they want to be part of the ways in which that can happen. So the male friend said to the female friend, uh, you need to wear the churchiest church lady outfit you have. Because we need to show up looking like church folk. And so they, they drove uh, to this house, they had the address, they parked the car, they navigated people outside the home, they navigated dealers inside the home and they found their friend and they brought him to the car and they took him home now he is with his family now he's pursuing sobriety with a support system around him that will only increase the chances of success and these two members of our church are like these women models of what Christian friendship might look like. Not just the good that we experience in the relationship, but the good that we can bring out in the world. I know you know this to be true. There are members and friends in our church so serving in global mission capacities and, and our Epiphany ministries and our care ministries and, and our Stephen ministries and, and in our children and youth ministries and in teaching Sunday school at all level and here in worship that have developed friendships that are in this fourth form, where, where the call to the collaborative good spills out and over from that friendship. Friends, these are special friendships. These are important friendships. And I would suggest that this, these types of friendships, rather, are 
what it means to have a Christian friend. The relationship is not just about you and the other, but it's also about what God is doing through that friendship. One of the folks that Chris brought in, uh, one of the authors, Victor, uh, shared some time with us in our staff meeting, our senior staff meeting. And he said something that was very provocative to me. He said the church should be a school of friendship. It should be a school of friendship. And ultimately, our hope, as we come to the conclusion of the series, our hope is, number one, that we know that we can be friends with God. We've preached about that. We talked about that. That a friendship with God is possible. But also to know that the friendships that we share are not just for our own good, but are for the good of the world. And so if you have one of those friendships, celebrate it. Lean into it. If you're longing for one of those friendships, here's some very practical advice. Someone that you see doing the good, bearing witness to the good, receiving the good in the world, ask if you can ride along. Ask if you can join in what they're experiencing of God's goodness and grace through them. Don't wait to be asked. Go out and, and make that relationship and make that friendship because these friendships are the core of Christian community. That's why Paul focuses on them so often with every church he writes to, that these friendships, that these friendships are how the gospel is proclaimed in our time, in our place, and for the sake of the world. Amen.